their paths crossed like two hot wires. We are just about the friendliest folks you'd ever want to meet. That's Bonnie. I'm sorry, I was looking for Maude. Everyone has the right to make an ass out of themselves. You can't let the world judge you too much. That woman, she took my car. This is Bonnie and Maude, the film podcast, with Xenia Yarosh and Eleanor Kagan. It's really hot in my apartment. It's a little bit. In, a, in an effort to be transparent, we're going to tell you that we're leaving all my windows open and the fans are on, which is an unideal recording setup. But you'll get the beautiful sound texture of Brooklyn in the background. Yeah, because then you can hear somebody showering in my building. I think I even heard them like during the scrubbing part. It wasn't just the water. <laughs> it was like a very detailed sound. Good thing they're not singing. <laughs> hey, Ksenia. What's up? <laughs> I've, I've missed you this summer. Me too. You have been off on your honeymoon. Mm-hmm. I have been off becoming a mother. What? Of cactus plants. <laughs> uh-huh. And um, the big reveal. Yes. I have plants now, which is a really big deal for me. I found them on the street and took them home with me and decided to give them a loving home. But we have a lot to catch up on. We've had a very busy summer. And there's also been, in addition to life events, like honeymooning and cactus owning, there's been a lot of pop culture that we've been consuming. Sure. Movies, television, books. Mm Mm-hmm. This is Bonnie and Maude, by the way. I'm Eleanor Kagan. And I'm Ksenia Yarosh. So this episode, we're going to go through all the stuff that we consumed this summer mm-hmm. and uh, sort of how it's stacked up, what we want more of, what we want less of, you know. It's the what I watched this summer episode. All right. So Ksenia, what have you been consuming this summer? Well, I was trying to think of um, a theme that the movies I've been watching have hit on. And um, I think the two things have been, like, oddity, surprise, and also uh, history. Hmm. So two movies that I saw that were based on um, real women were A League of Their Own and Marie Antoinette. Like, pretty different movies, (laughs) but both made me really excited to find out more about those women. Um, A League of Their Own... I originally watched when I was very young, um, and I don't know that I fully, like, remember, comprehended. I just remember it was kind of fun, something baseball. And then, like, watching it now, there are definitely some weaknesses. Um, Tom Hanks' character is so over the top, and, like, he wins you over every once in a while, but he's like a cartoon character. Um... But then, like, you watch Gina Davis <laughs> hit those balls. Cassania, how old are we? You are cracking up at the word balls. Uh, <laughs> I love you. Gina Davis is really good at hitting some balls. And it's, it's just an inspiring film. Um, I have to agree. I have not seen that movie since I was a kid. Um, but it had a very big impact on my life and I was not a big sports player myself but I did do a little bit of softball Mm -hmm. um 
Was and it because of this movie? Yeah, it definitely. Really? Yeah, because they made it look so fun. Yeah. And, you know, it would be interesting to go back and watch this movie now, um, kind of with an eye to, you know, how gender is portrayed. But how do, how do you think it did? I mean, it, it was a female director, Penny Marshall, um, known for her rom-coms. I mean, again, because it's based um, on real characters and a true story, it's a little bit hard to judge it too harshly like at one point I was like why didn't they fight those uniforms more like the whole time they have to wear these tiny frilly skirts and they get really messed up because they have to do these slides while their thighs are exposed it's Mm -hmm. kind of I don't know like it it hurts to see that at one point she has this uh, Gina Davis has this gigantic bruise which I read later ended up lasting for a year like, it was a real bruise on her ass that lasted for a year. But you can't really, like, say that these characters didn't fight these uniforms too hard because these are the real uniforms that these players wore. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I'm also curious about the real-life story that inspired A League of Their Own, especially because female baseball has not endured as a national pastime. No. So what happened? Mm-hmm. What happened in that time since... Not much, I think. I think they still have those reunions, um, and, like, there are those small leagues, but, yeah, nothing national. It is kind of sad. Um, One thing that I did want to note is the resolution of the movie is really interesting. Um, I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything, but, uh, you know, in a typical sports movie, I feel like the winning of the team is what you're looking forward to like there's usually the bad team and the good team and you're rooting for one and you want the good guys to win whereas here the resolution of the movie is this team that we've been watching for a long time doesn't win sort of like in bring it on and the big success of it is that a character like gains confidence in herself and her skills and like has a better relationship with her sister And it's like, that's so touching and surprising and definitely not the way more male-directed sports movies end. Very nice. That is a a classic movie. I'm glad you finally saw it. (laughs) Thanks. And Marie Antoinette, what made you finally decide to watch that? Uh, Because we went to France for our honeymoon. Oh, yeah. And you toured Versailles, you lucky dog. Yeah. Um, We didn't actually end up seeing the movie until afterwards. Um, I I wish I had seen it before the trip. But we didn't actually see the inside of the Versailles Palace. I don't know. Whatever. Um, (laughs) Because you spent too much time in the gardens. It's okay to admit that. Yes, we did. You, you can only have so much beauty in your eyes in one day. I think it's okay. You, yeah, you still just, did Versailles right. I just couldn't digest it. Um, I don't know that I have much to say about uh, Marie Antoinette, the movie. It made me want to keep reading about it. And, like, I was stuck on the Wikipedia page. And now I want to, like, check out a bunch of books from the library. Um, because the, the movie itself is sort of just the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't get the full grasp of how much was imposed on her and how like there was this negative image that came out into the public because of many things that were out of her control like you know she was pressured to have a son for this kingdom and 
how do you do that <laughs> um, when your husband doesn't even want to sleep with you for seven years? Um, and then um, everyone thought that she was so frivolous with money, but actually there was like a scheme where diamonds were stolen and someone pretended to be Marie Antoinette. It's, it's worth reading about. The movie is a fun kind of music video that yeah. gets you excited to find out more. I mean, Sofia Coppola has a knack for making films, beautiful films, about characters who are rich and bored Mm -hmm. with life. And this... Bored? Bored. (laughs) um, Characters who are rich and bored with life. And Marie Antoinette, in a way, is about the richest and boredest of them all. It is also the most beautiful of uh, the Sofia Coppola films, if your aesthetic is more and more. And there is something about just all the visuals of this movie that completely blew me away, bowled me over. The desserts looked like, you know, jewelry, and her her hair just got bigger by the minute. Yeah. Her dresses. And, and it was very good at depicting vanity and vapidness but in a way undercut with a lot of sadness and mm-hmm. that is sort of Sophia's forte and I thought she did a very good job. And Kirsten Dunst was definitely the right choice for that um, because she she draws you in and makes this pretty vapid person sympathetic like you you want her to be able to grow as a person but she's stuck in this golden cage and isn't it wonderful when she delivers the the famous line let them eat cake it's kind of this dream sequence and she has on blood deep red lipstick and it's the one time that she kind of goes to this dark side what (laughs) i don't remember this at one point they're like reading the paper and she was like i didn't say that what? Am I misremembering the movie already? The Let the Meat Cake line? Yeah. I could have sworn she had big dark lipstick on. There was a scene with dark lipstick, but the Let them Eat Cake was a phrase that was made up, and I think she, like, makes fun of how she's portrayed in the papers. Mm. Well, it has been a long time since I've seen it. <laughs> Speaking of things that we've gone back and watched, filling in gaps in our... Uh, repertoire in our repertoire two films that i watched this summer that i was really excited about one was bringing up baby Mm -hmm. the screwball comedy starring katherine hepburn and cary grant first off the way that katherine hepburn says the word leopard is just so just delights me to no end it's a leopard it's my leopard oh my god i could do that all day um, it was amazing, and I found that I have a deep abiding love of screwball comedies. His Girl Friday is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. And I realized watching Bringing Up Baby that Katherine Hepburn is the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, which is so odd to see her in that role because we were used to Katherine Hepburn being this sophisticated. S- oh, yeah, completely like smart and together and. Um, you know, kind of ve- dry, very serious mm-hmm. woman. And to see her just like acting a fool was just mm-hmm. delightful to me. I know you're not a huge fan of that movie. <sighs> I do not like that movie. And why is that? I can't remember. Because I find it irritating. Um, I, it just, it's all over the place. I, I don't know. It just doesn't go anywhere. I don't think it says anything. It's too quirky for the sake of being quirky. And especially... 
this is a movie that you have to see, Holiday, um, that also stars Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. And she is, again, uh, kind of wacky. She She's a rich woman who's bored. And he comes into this family because he's actually engaged to her sister. And they become pals. And I think it's a much more interesting, sweeter story about, like, what to do with yourself when you're rich and, like, sort of trapped in a rich family, but you're the black sheep. Hmm. I will see that. I would like to see all of Katherine Hepburn's films. Um, there was a recent article in The Atlantic, I wouldn't say lamenting, but discussing the death of the mid-Atlantic uh, diction, sort of that upper-class way of talking, like Catherine <laughs> Hepburn uh-huh. always talked and said words like leopard. Um, you know, that kind of you know sounded like high society. And mm-hmm. that is very much the way that everybody talked back then. In His Girl Friday, you can hear it too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What it is about these screwball comedies that really attracts me is you do have the wild woman and the straight-laced man, in the case of Bringing Up Baby, but unlike the classic Manic Pixie Dream Girl that we've seen in modern films like Elizabeth Town and Garden State and, you know, anything starring Zoe Deschanel. Okay, so in Bringing Up Baby, the point of Katherine Hepburn, sure, is to bring Cary Grant, who's very, you know, straight ahead, scientist, you know, focused on his work. Mm-hmm. Um, she does bring him out of his shell and sort of inspire him to have adventures and loosen up a little bit. But... She's also kind of a force for good in a way. She does cause a lot of craziness because mm-hmm. she just acts without thinking. But ultimately, but it's she Catherine does. Hepburn. It's Catherine Hepburn, <laughs> and ultimately, she does make his life a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was great, and I was a big fan, and I will definitely be watching more. Um, I think we should do an episode on His Girl Friday. I agree. Possibly. One of the other movies that I caught up on this summer was recommended to us by one of our former episode guests, Lyra Hill, um, when we talked about Cabaret. And I watched All That Jazz, which is the Bob Fosse-directed autobiographical film about what it is to be this Broadway director, choreographer, obsessed with his work, not taking care of himself, sleeping with as many women as he possibly can, and just being in it for the love of the art and how that all kind of takes a toll and eventually causes his demise. Lyra had pointed out that the film was very strangely prescient because because Fosse depicts the main character, who's sort of a Fosse prototype, played by Roy Scheider, star of Jaws, by the way, who is fantastic, ends up dying of a heart attack... Bob Fosse himself ended up passing away of a heart attack only eight years after this film came out. First off, it is a beautifully directed film. There's a lot of shots of him um, taking drugs that clearly inspired Requiem for a Dream. There's a lot of dream sequences starring Jessica Lange as an angel welcoming him into the afterlife. Um, There's a lot of incredible choreography, of course, and so many of the dance moves I, I see throughout culture um since then and i it's so wonderful to finally know you can say step up okay step up 3d but also beyonce um (laughs) have all borrowed from fossey moves used heavily in this movie it was wonderfully directed wonderfully acted all the dance sequences are so thrilling and it is fossey kind of at his peak even though he was nearing the end of his life but i just loved every minute of it it's so dark 
Um, so sweaty. It's so sweaty. It was you that pointed out how many pit stains are in that movie. I've never seen so many characters just dripping and like all their clothes are sweat stained. <laughs> but it is, you know, it is ultimately about an addict going through life, trying to deal with all of these forces around him. Many, in fact, all, almost all of whom are these women that he seems to be addicted to. Mm-hmm. His wife, his mistress, and his daughter all kind of come to him at the end to tell him his wrongs, dance at him his wrongs. <laughs> <laughs> they, too, are addicted to him, and it's just it's thrilling. So all that jazz, highly recommend. I mostly enjoyed it because it was like the key that unlocked the bring it on choreographer character for me (laughs) who does now that I've seen all that jazz does an amazing impersonation of uh, is it Scheider Mm -hmm. uh, doing Fosse yes so we've gone back and seen a bunch of things that have filled in the gaps in our film watching lives um Well, I feel like we should talk about the television show that has been the big buzz of this summer, Orange is the New Black. Orange is the New Black. I was excited to start watching it. (laughs) Yes, Orange is the New Black was released by Netflix. Um, The showrunner is Genji Cohen, known for Weeds, which was great for two seasons before getting totally batshit and losing me completely. Um, but she seems back on her stride with Orange is the New Black, which is based on the memoir of a woman named... Loosely, Pi- loosely yes, based. Loosely based on the memoir of a woman uh, named Piper Kerman, who is sentenced to 15 months in a minimum security prison for a mistake that she had made 10 years prior with a former lover by transporting some drug money. And what is a perky blonde Smith graduate to do facing a 15-month sentence. So the show follows the journey of Piper, but also, and arguably more interestingly, follows the stories of all the other women who are also in jail with her. Yes. I really want Piper to leave the show. Uh, (laughs) Because I, I would much rather watch everyone else like I know that she's supposed to be an anti-hero she's sort of set up for it as like the antithesis of a typical uh, convict but I I feel like the actress who plays her I I don't know whether she's directed to or it's her own choice Taylor Schilling I'm so irritated by her (laughs) see I disagree with you I find that uh, Taylor Schilling is really wonderful at portraying a lot of shock a lot of emotion a lot of feelings of being lost you know but doesn't looks that get horrified. where it's like every response of hers is just like i'm surprised again i <laughs> i am still shocked by what's going on around me like i just get bored and i want to move on to the more complex characters um who are around her I think she's really good at conveying those things in a single look, but I will argue that she is also a complex character. I mean, I I feel like I sympathize with 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 Piper. Um, you know, I do want her to succeed in life. I, I am more drawn to her as a character being with Alex. So, you know, the her former girlfriend, who is the impetus for her having committed these crimes and, and landing in jail, they wind up in the same 
prison, um, her and Alex. Which, again, did not happen in real life. Did not happen in real life. But um, uh, Alex was played by Laura Prepon, who we know from that 70s show, who has incredible eyebrows. And her and Piper kind of have this reconnection. And one of the things I do appreciate on the show is the way that it deals with queerness. Mm -hmm. And doesn't really try to define anyone. I mean, Piper is very confused with her feelings for Alex, her feelings for Larry, who is her sort of straight laced mm-hmm. um, fiance back home, played by Jason Biggs, who is the part of the show that I really could do without. Um, <laughs> the show seems to conclude that, you know, sexuality is fluid, it is on a scale, and it doesn't try to put anyone in a box. And I found that really respectable. It's definitely the first time that we've seen a bisexual character in a television series that is not meant to be totally titillating or just like, I'm bisexual because I'm experimenting. It's like, it really shows that she has feelings for these different people, not even necessarily because one is female, one is male. It's just like she is drawn to these people Mm -hmm. i just like i think the acting is pretty great um i think some of the plot lines are okay like the show definitely draws you in but there are just so many false moves like there there's this really cheesy music that plays sometimes when we're supposed to feel that something important is going on and then like I remember at one point it's just like zoomed in on Piper like, whoa, like, can you believe this? It really oscillates between super goofy, weird, and this is supposed to be meaningful and we're learning about these women's difficult lives too quickly. It's, I find it jarring and I, I hope this leads to good documentaries about women in prison. I don't know that the show specifically is a great portrayal of the subject. But, you know, one thing that I think is really important about the show is there are more multifaceted female characters on this show than maybe any other show out right now, and definitely that I can think of in the past, you know, five years. Absolutely. And I, I think that's why a lot of people are excited about it. I just, like, I wish our standards didn't have to be quite so low that we're, like, settling for this, like, pretty sloppy show just because there are, like, a lot of great actresses that are getting work because of it. There are a lot of great actresses. I mean, the standout character to me is Laverne, is played by Laverne Cox, um, who is a transgendered woman, And she is playing a transgendered woman on the show. And for once, you know, I checked out her IMDb. For once, she is not playing a hooker or a dead person. She has a I'm, like, getting tingles, like, just because you're talking about her. I I like her a lot. Yeah, Yeah, her character is fantastic. And there is, you know, this Orange is the New Black kind of does, like, a Lost-style flashback per episode where it kind of tells the story of a different inmate per episode via flashback and the one starring Laverne Cox where you find out um, about her transition about her relationship with her wife about her relationship with her son um, is so touching and is so fair and really draws so much empathy out of us as the audience that it's probably one of the most if not the most even-handed portrayal of a transgendered person on TV and for that we really have to credit Genji Cohen for 
taking these strides in a direction of acceptance and of gender fairness. And, you know, it's things like that that make me really love this show and kind of, you know, overlook the cheesy music and the <laughs> what have and you. And, like, the fudged facts. Exactly. Um, Genji Cohen was actually on Fresh Air mm-hmm. recently and said an interesting thing, which was that Piper was her Trojan horse, hmm. meaning she needed this relatable white character uh-huh. as a means to tell the stories of black and Latina hmm. women because the way the TV atmosphere is is you need to put a white girl on the poster exactly which um you know I don't doubt is true but you know what does that say I just I what my hope for Orange is the New Black is that it's the beginning of more shows like that where there is a big female cast and there are interesting female anti-heroes mm-hmm. of different genders or <laughs> of different sexualities um races and economic statuses mm-hmm. like girls has already pushed things along a little bit for younger women but in terms of older women i don't know that we have that many examples of TV characters who aren't just wives and mothers. On the question of whether it is, you know, the social responsibility of television to address things like race and class and sexuality fairly, I don't know. I mean, I think that's part of a much larger conversation, Mm -hmm. but that tends to be the thing that is um, miffing people about the show the most. Well, I'm going to keep watching it. I'm just going to keep yelling at the screen. (laughs) I think that's okay. (laughs) That almost reminds me of the idea of, you know, wanting women to be more prominent as just a general social aspect is what I feel like would lead me into um, telling you a little bit about In a World, which Mm -hmm. I saw last night. I I do love the trailer because it finally addresses that... um, Maybe my personal irritant of women talking in really high-pitched baby voices. The sexy baby? Yeah. That's something that I definitely would love to talk about with you. <laughs> um, but yeah. But would you like to talk about it in a like sexy baby voice? Actually, no. I wouldn't because... Um, well, before we get into that, I, I sh- we should say that, um, yes, Lake Bell wrote, directed, and starred in this movie. Bell's character, Carol, she is a voiceover artist. She would like to be a working voiceover artist like her dad, but she hasn't been able to find a lot of jobs, so she works as a vocal coach until oh. she is given the opportunity to start voicing trailers. And, you know, the voice of God, the Down La Fontaine, the inner world mm-hmm. where one man does something important you know (laughs) everybody knows that voice and those voices of trailers have always been men and she would like to be the one the first woman to break into that i really liked this movie lake bell was hilarious she made really good choices in terms of casting and even though the movie did have, you know, kind of a feminist message, it really was not in your face and it was not preachy about it. There is one moment at the end where it does sort of come in with its thesis statement, you know, and the person that delivers that swan song is actually Gina Davis. Oh, yay. From A League of Their Own. I don't know if you know this, but Gina Davis has... Um, yes, right. I do. So Gina Davis 
has this organization called the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media, and it's a research-based organization. So whenever you hear stats that are like, 2% of characters in movies this year were women, that's all done by her organization. So I thought it was really amazing that they had Gina Davis playing this character who is the executive producer of this quadrilogy um, of these like Hunger Games-esque movies. And to spoil it, I guess, um, Carol is the one who gets picked to voice this trailer. She beats out the sort of like young hot new guy, Gustav, and she beats out her own father. Hmm. And when she asks, you know, why did I get this job? Gina Davis looks at her and says, everybody watches movie trailers and everybody watches commercials and the voices that are always talking to you or that are always telling you you want this thing because it'll make your life better. Those voices are always male voices and it is, you know, this systemic thing that it's always men and why can't it be women too Mm -hmm. so i I feel like the rare occasions when they use female voices it's like to calm you when there's like some sort of emergency situation or like you know please turn right (laughs) exactly like young women should be hearing other women's voices it should become normalized Mm -hmm. um and then she says i didn't choose you because you were the best because frankly you weren't (laughs) So it was a little bit of real talk from Gina Davis, but I really did appreciate the message of this movie. Um, In addition to that, I thought all of the female characters were very well drawn, Mm -hmm. you know, from the uh, sister who starts off as a sort of naggy wife character, but gets a lot deeper because she has this moment of possible infidelity with her husband. um, And it really shows the depths of their relationships. Um, The father's girlfriend is this much younger woman who kind of at first is drawn as like the evil stepmother but in the end she ends up being a big advocate for him supporting his daughters and Mm -hmm. especially supporting carol and becoming a prominent voiceover artist there's also a great male feminist character dimitri martin who is the love interest who is always on carol's side the one thing that is causing um, some controversy, yes, is the way that Lake Bell does make fun of women who up talk and do vocal fry. So up talk is where you enter sentences like they're a question and vocal fry is where you go really low and kind of have that gravelly thing in your voice. And there's Kim Kardashian does it a lot. Right. So there's been a lot of conversations lately about uh, the way women talk and uh, those who engage in uptalk and vocal fry and whether they should be respected or not. And this film kind of takes the position like those women should be working on changing their sexy baby voices because nobody's taking them seriously. Is there only one kind of femininity mm-hmm. that can be relayed in your voice? I've suddenly become very self-conscious of my voice. What do you think, Ksenia? <laughs> I mean, I, I understand that it's the same thing as judging a woman just because she's wearing, you know, a frilly pink outfit um, a la uh, Legally Blonde. But I I do personally, I find high-pitched lady voices annoying. <laughs> uh I don't know. I th- it's it's a fine line. I I understand like I want all women to be taken seriously regardless of how they speak. But I also think some of those speaking styles are just 
carelessness or wanting to be seen as more feminine and taken care of. Um, I don't know. This is a very deep topic that I don't know that I'm ready to plunge into. But personally, I was glad it, glad it was uh, addressed in the trailer and I found it amusing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's my instinct to defend the women that do talk with the sexy baby voice, um, even though I'm not one of them. Although I do find that I use the word like a lot, but I also think that that's more generational than I agree. feminine. I mean, I think men and women both use the word like a lot in conversation, but I don't know. I mean, it does encourage this idea that there is one type of feminine voice and especially if you're a female voice trying to break into a world full of male voices Mm -hmm. people are automatically going to feel more comfortable with a a lower voice you know Mm -hmm. with something that is lower and more authoritative Mm -hmm. and sure of itself and And if you're trying to sound like a man then like what's the point of having your own voice exactly exactly and you know it's it's Like, if you are the type of person that does talk in this high-pitched way, should you work on changing it just because that's what people want to hear? I also think about, you know, some of my favorite contributors on This American Life have very high-pitched voices, like Sarah Vowell and Starly Kine, Mm -hmm. and they are incredibly smart women and great storytellers, and they have these high-pitched voices, but I don't feel like that is a detriment to them. I don't know. I guess working in radio what someone's voice is is something that I think about a lot and it seems as if people have a harder time getting used to women's voices than they do with men's voices and that is something that I personally would like to see change over time as women's voices of all types of all timbres (laughs) of all fries um become more normalized but in a world I, I I do recommend it it is it's very fun very funny I guess let me mention just a couple more movies. I know I for did the talk, final version. I've talked a lot. <laughs> uh, you were fine. I'm gonna talk a lot now. Talk a lot. Um, so two awesome movies that I saw, kind of uh, one after the other, and I had to double check just because I'm still constantly surprised that it's Soderbergh. It's just like every other movie I see, like I really like this. This was weird. Of course, Soderbergh. Um, I saw Contagion and Magic Mike. Like Channing Tatum thrusting. Uh, oh my God! I to Genuine's just... Pony. What <laughs> more do you want? He apparently choreographed um, all his moves himself, and well, I, we know he's an incredible dancer because course. we've all seen Step Up. Come on, Ksenia. <laughs> and then I think that that amazing dance, um, the the rain one. Yeah, the raining men one. Yeah. I think, like, maybe the other actors hadn't seen it or something until he, like, revealed his final moves or something. I don't know. I just... <laughs> um, my husband and I watched it over a bottle of wine. It was uh, so romantic. You know, I also watched Magic Mike. I watched Magic Mike with my boyfriend, who was actually the person that wanted to see it that brought me to see it. We saw it on opening night in a theater full of women and gay men. (laughs) And everyone was cheering and totally psyched about it. And I have to wonder um, if our respective significant others felt uncomfortable with us 
totally objectifying Channing Tatum as this like gyrating sex object. Do you think they did? Possibly. <laughs> and is that equality or should we not be doing that? I just, I, I guess I, well, I've never been to a strip club, so I don't even know what that is. And, and like, and, and all the strip clubs that I've seen in movies have been women, of course. Right. I mean, the thing about Magic Mike is I, I could really take or leave all the, all the scenes of the romance or what have you. I really just want to see them in the club. I really <laughs> want to see Matthew McConaughey being the uh, strip club sort of MC, mm-hmm. you know. Madam. The madam. And I want to see all the men dancing and plucking women from the crowd, spinning them around. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun. And, you know, as women, are we allowed to watch these movies where men are sort of putting their bodies on display for us? I mean, obviously, it's we're not like we get it. many opportunities. True. Um, and, and the thing about this movie is it's not just like, I, I did, I, I realized that it would be kind of sexy, like these dances but i really didn't realize how charming uh channing tatum is Mm -hmm. until i i saw him in this he really like he draws you in even when he's not dancing yeah um you're kind of like i don't know yes there's there's this um romance going on and you keep wanting to like shout at the screen like come on he's been like trying to date you for so long why are you resisting yeah i thought her character was a little bland um and not totally worthy of (laughs) all the attention that he was giving her um but, you know, it's funny because one night uh, some friends uh, and I were hanging out and among them was my boyfriend. And uh, one of the other ladies and I were really excited about re-watching Magic Mike. And the boys were just sort of not into that idea. But we ended up just like pulling up on YouTube all of the dance scenes. And my boyfriend was like, mm, this I'm not that cool with this because clearly now you're just watching this for uh you're not even watching you're not even watching like the build-up like the plot you're just watching this you're not appreciating this as a movie now you're just in it for Channing Tatum's ass so (laughs) and then to be completely honest yes I was but I don't know I mean in a way maybe this movie was made for women to finally be titillated by a man dancing for them. Um, but it was also a good movie. I enjoyed it mm-hmm. as a piece of cinema. Yes. Not just of Channing Tatum's ass. It was very well edited and lit. <laughs> <laughs> the lighting was great, by the way. <laughs> Perfect direction. <laughs> Did you say direction or erection? <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Um, what else do you have? Well, I saw Dogfight, which I, I might want to do a whole episode at one point, but let me just do a quick overview, maybe to get listeners excited. Dogfight is this 1991 movie with Lily Taylor and River Phoenix. Um, so, it, you know, how can you resist? River Phoenix. Um, And the whole premise is it's these uh, Navy boys who are visiting San Francisco for the night. Um, 
and there's this practice that they do called a dog fight where they have to bring an ugly girl to this dance party and whoever brings the ugliest one wins a bunch of money and so <laughs> you know i i was really intrigued by this premise what's interesting is so that happens in the first third of the movie and then we move on and lily taylor plays the ugly girl that river phoenix meets i mean by ugly i just mean like i guess she like gained 15 pounds and like they gave her some padding and uh to make her look even chubbier and she has frizzy hair um, Lily Taylor, we know from things like Say Anything, she was the best friend who wrote all of the wonderful breakup songs. Mm-hmm. She played a character named Eleanor in The Haunting, and she was also famously uh, Nate's wife in Six Feet Under. And so this dogfight party is put out of the way pretty quickly, and a lot of the rest of the movie is just them wandering around San Francisco. And it, it like... I don't know, it, like, brought back all these memories of being in college and, like, going on late-night dates where, like, you don't even have very much money, so you're just, like, going to a playground or just, like, walking a lot. And, um, uh, it's a very slight movie. Um, a lot of it is just the chemistry between the two of them, and they're, they're very different characters, um, but they're both very lonely and they're drawn to each other because they feel like maybe they can like find some sort of resolve in the other and find closeness and intimacy. And um, the ending is also particularly interesting because it's so ambiguous because it's not a traditional romantic resolution. It's kind of just like, again, like these different people who are together and can bring out the best in each other, but it's not necessarily love. And she she's also like just a very kind of interesting girl who's not too shy, not too aggressive. She's the one who like finally makes the move for them to be more physical. Uh, which is, I think, unusual in movies, um, especially for, you know, a chubby girl who is not the pretty one. I would love to see that and delve a lot deeper into that. Um, I also find Lily Taylor very appealing as an actress. Mm -hmm. So we have been really busy this summer. We watched (laughs) a lot of things. We've barely spent any time outside. No, that's a total lie. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so any last recommendations? I guess what I learned this summer <laughs> is that um, don't feel obligated to see the latest blockbuster. Just like go to a video store and rent something that feels right and watch some classics. You don't need to go to the movie theater and watch... Transformers. <laughs> I would recommend checking out In a World. I would also recommend Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I guess that uh, does bring us to the end of this episode of Bonnie and Maud. Mm-hmm. We would love to hear from you if you have movies you want to recommend to us or articles, books, anything. We're excited to hear from you. So email us at bonnieandmaud at gmail.com or visit our website at bonnieandmaud.com or say hello on our Facebook. We got some emails, which I'm so excited about. 
Um, Now's the segment of our show where we read listener email. <laughs> I'm glad that we can do that. And if you write to us, maybe we'll read one from you. And a lot of people have written in with great suggestions for things to talk about in the future on Bonnie and Maude. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our new listeners is Alice. Uh, I'm not going to give her last name away for sake of anonymity, unless she would like us to identify her in the future. And she's uh, a teacher at a performing arts high school in the UK. Um, she says sort of a less gritty version of fame in London. That sounds great. Um, and she listened to our podcast back to back on a journey to and from Edinburgh and, and London, like sort of listening to a bunch of episodes over the weekend. Um, her suggestion was she wanted us to watch Miranda July's future. Oh, the future. Yeah, the future. And specifically focus on the fact that like Miranda July is the lead actress in it, but she also directed the film. And she thought it was interesting to like focus on how female directors portray women. And especially in a case like that, where she actually portrays the woman in the movie. Yeah, I was a big fan of Miranda July's Me and You and Everyone We Know. I was not as much of a fan. (laughs) Um, I I had this uh, period where a lot of people were recommending that movie to me, and were like, well, this is the movie. This is the movie for you. Because it's quirky and you're quirky? Yes, and there was so much buildup that I think by the time I watched it, I just did not enjoy it. Um, It's a very odd picture that I... I only liked it thinking back on it in retrospect. At the time, it just made me very uncomfortable. But after yeah. after thinking, rolling it over in my head for some time, I was like, oh, I loved all the characters in it. But I hear that there's a talking cat in the future, so there's no way I can resist that. All right. Well, thanks, Alice. Um, so we'll watch that at a future time. The future in the future. Uh, And then we also got a very nice email from Rachel L. Um, She also listened to our episodes while traveling. I think that's kind of a great theme. Um, She listened to our episodes. um, She listened to Bonnie and Maude while walking the streets of Brisbane. Uh, And she says, I must say, I want to watch every single movie you mention and read every book you suggest. Please keep on giving suggestions of things to see and read. The show is amazing, and I can't wait for other episodes. What up, Australia? Um, That was so sweet. Thank you, Rachel. Um, We hope you like all the things that you've watched and read, and we will continue to recommend things that we think you'll like. I'm Eleanor Kagan. And I'm Xenia Yorosh. And we'll see you next time. Bye.